But you need to do a real self-assessment and understand what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And then when you're honest with yourself about that, you start looking at a team that can help you with your weaknesses. And that's exactly what I did. Get ready to unbox the secrets of successful leadership with former mayor of Providence, Angel Tavares. Join us as we dive into the lessons learned and experiences gained during Angel's time in public service. From the importance of self-assessment and surrounding yourself with the right team, to navigating ethical dilemmas and building relationships with other leaders. Let's get started on Leadership Unboxed with Angel Tavares. Thanks for joining me, Angel. Can you share your journey to becoming the mayor? Well, it's an unexpected journey in that sense. I don't think that I ever thought about being mayor of the city of Providence, but I've always thought about helping others. And that made a big difference. I mean, my background, I'm a Dominican American, born in Brooklyn, raised here in Providence, a public school student, went from Head Start to Harvard through Providence Public Schools. Always wanted to be a lawyer and had that opportunity to become a lawyer. So I was very grateful for that. But I've always also been focused on public service in different ways. When I was at Harvard, I was at the Phillips Brooks House, which is working with kids. I worked with kids in Mission Hill. When I was at Georgetown, I was a public interest law scholar when I was at Georgetown Law. And so it's always interested me in terms of really giving back and trying to help the community. When uh, Congressman Kennedy announced that he was retiring and Mayor Cicilline announced he was running for Congress. Um, it was a unique opportunity for me to give back to the city who's given, that's given so much to me. And so that's the way that it really happened is that I've had that kind of focus for most of my adult life and will continue to try to find ways to serve in, in different capacities. Great. Yeah. So how did your upbringing and experiences in Providence shape your perspectives and approach to public service? I think it probably shaped it from a standpoint of wanting to include more people, wanting to make sure that City Hall was open to more folks. I was an adult before um, I ever visited City Hall or the mayor's office. I remember it was Mayor Lombardi who was mayor when the first time I went to the mayor's office. It was very, very welcoming in 2002. So I was 32 at that time. And I think that one of the things I try to do is make sure that people know the city belongs to all of us and the city belongs to, to everyone. And part of what makes Providence special is the unique fabric of our society. And so I think that probably helped shape me, understanding that as a lawyer, I've learned that, that you know, sometimes you're the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. You want to make sure that their voices are heard. Um, and so I thought that was very important to me. And I wanted to address issues that were important from a standpoint of education and feeling like we needed to improve education, public safety, and trying to improve the relationship between our, our police department and, and our communities. Things that I know had a big impact in my life growing up. Absolutely. Now, can you kind of double click and dig into some of the more specific challenges, maybe around the police or any other obstacles that you might have faced in your political career and how you might have approached that? Well, 
I mean, I think probably the biggest challenge we faced uh, was the city really on the verge of bankruptcy. And we, we faced a huge deficit that was threatening the city. And we also faced a cash flow crunch. So it wasn't an easy time in that sense. And the way that I approached it was to try to create a team atmosphere to say, we're all in this together and we're going to get through it together. You know, I cut my own pay as mayor, and I know that the person who took the biggest pay cut in the city of Providence is the mayor of Providence. We reduced our office budget, the mayor's office budget. We then, you know, we asked everyone to do the same, to, to help reduce costs. We asked all our unions to help us. We asked General Assembly to help us. We asked retirees to help us. You know, we asked everyone that we could. We asked the universities and hospitals to help us. And people all did. You know, and, and so in that environment that we're all in this together, you know, and, and that we all have a role to play was very important to me and that it was a shared sacrifice that we all going to have to sacrifice in order to take care of our city. And, you know, we're now 12 years since I announced what we were facing. That was almost 12 years. It was March 2nd, 2011. And I think the city's on a better path. And. There's still a lot of work to do, but there's always work to do in cities. But I definitely think that the city's on a better path, and uh, I'm happy to see that. That's great. Yeah, you mentioned building building the team. What what did you think about in building the right team? What were some of the key components to that? Sure. I mean, you know, I've talked about this a lot. I I, uh, I teach a course on leadership at Providence College, and I also speak at the at Bodna, which is a business management school in the Dominican Republic. One of the things I say, and I, and I said this to my successor, the mayor, and the transition, and a part of which he made public, that you need to do a real honest self-assessment of yourself as a leader, especially when you're elected, because once you're elected, you know, everyone's your friend, and you know, everyone thinks you're great, right? Or at, least public, or at least to your face, they think that, right? But what they think otherwise, you never know. But, but you need to do a real self-assessment and understand what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And then... When you're honest with yourself about that, you stop looking at a team that can help you with your weaknesses. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, when I became mayor or mayor-elect, I knew what some of my strengths were, but I knew my weaknesses. And the biggest thing is not having run such a huge organization as the uh, city of Providence and not having that type of experience. And so what I try to do is put people around me who, one, had the Top integrity, that, that was old, that, that's, old, that's a given, but sometimes you just have to say that. So that had impeccable integrity and, and had experience. And that's what I did with Michael D'Amico, another classical high school graduate, was my first appointment to be director of administration. And he had a lot of experience dealing with big companies, dealing with unions, running large organizations. And that was key. That's what I did with Commissioner Perry, um, who became the first public safety commissioner in at least eight years when I appointed him in 2011. And he had experience running state police. He had impeccable integrity and did an outstanding job as, as a public safety commissioner. That's what I did with Sue Lucy, who we supported to um, be the, the new superintendent of schools and had worked in Providence with Superintendent of Portsmouth, had worked at the Rhode Island Department of Education. So one of the things I tried to do was that, is, is to, when I had people when I, when I thought about the team that, that I need around me, try to get people who could complement my weaknesses and, 
And one of that, one of those weaknesses was not having run a big organization. So you want to get people around you who can, who can do that and, and who have had experience and, and, and you learn along the way. So very proud of that. That's fantastic. So it starts with an honest look in the mirror and self-reflection of who you are and what your skill sets and capabilities are, and then building around that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want, you want to do that. Yeah. I think it's really important to do that. And, and that's certainly what I try to do. And if you look at my appointments, I think, you know, hopefully they make even more sense now. Thanks. And curious, who were some of your early mentors or role models? How did they shape your approach to public service and the community or just your development in general? Well, I mean, my sister was the first in my, in my family to go to college. She's seven years older. And so I think that she certainly was a role model to me. And she's a nurse who's always helping people, right? That to me, that, that the nursing profession is the ultimate public service because you're helping people in really trying times. So my sister certainly was uh, the first. And being seven years older, I got to see a lot more of her development in, in that sense, right? So I'm in high school. She's almost out of college at that point. And as I'm beginning high school, so I saw her nursing as, as I was finishing high school. Um, so it, it, she certainly was a big part of it. My, my cousin, Emilio, who is a U.S. Marine, and I say that because there's no such thing as a former U.S. Marine, and the Marines who hear this know, know that, so I've learned a lot. But he's my first trip away from home was to Quantico, Virginia, where he was stationed at the time. I also visited him in San, San Diego where he was a drill sergeant. I saw his success and also another public service protecting our country. And we're still very, very close. Um, so he was certainly another example. Bill Vanage, who was my best friend's dad growing up and someone who I loved dearly and was like a, has been like a dad to me. And seeing him be the dad, the person he is, the businessman he is, that all helped me as well. Gave me great advice, you know, made some decisions for me. <laughs> as I like to say, I went to Phillips Andover for three summers because he said I was going and that was the end of the discussion. And so, so that was, that was the end of the discussion. It's just like he said, so, so they've all been big mentors to me. And I think my mom, I think seeing my mom work so hard to raise three kids, work very difficult jobs to raise three kids really had an impact on me and wanted to succeed and do well for her and for our family. And I'm grateful that all of them are still with us and that they've been able to see what their kind of investment has, has really grown into. Got it. Great. And, you know, as you were growing up, how did you discover or find your, your niche, your group of friends, your community, your clique? Yeah, I don't know that I've ever had a clique. I, my friends are, are some of my just oldest friends. That, that I grew up with. Sports was important to me. Baseball was very important, though I can't hit, but I can field and pitch and do other things. And I loved baseball and I played baseball throughout up to high school. Um, and that made a big difference. And I, some of my friends now are still my friends from baseball, from playing little league at like, you know, 11 and 12 years old. So that made a big difference for me. And that continued to, to, you know, that continues, as I said, today, 
40 years after, I mean, I'm still friendly with some of the, the, the guys I play baseball with. And I think school, high school, I have several friends from high school that I'm still very close to. But I don't know that there was a, you know, that I developed or anything else. I think I was kind of weird in the sense of when you are, in my case anyway, I felt like I didn't really fit in at school because of my background. I didn't really fit in at, you know, in the neighborhood because I was really smart and, you know, kind of, you know, off at Nathaniel Green and the gifted program or classical high school. So it's kind of finding a way to fit in. Sports did help me, though. Baseball definitely helped. Thanks for that. Yeah. We're going to shift gears a little bit, talk a little bit more about your leadership and, you know, in the world that we're living in, is there any current issue that's coming to mind that's, that you'd kind of like to share your perspective on, whether that's, you know, within the Hispanic community or other marginalized groups, leave it open-ended in that sense? Well, I mean, I think there, there are a couple. One is education. I think that I have worked really hard to try to improve education. Um, I am... While I was mayor, I opened up the, with the help of other mayors and also a vote of the Board of Education at the state level, the Achievement First Providence Mayoral Academy, and that we did by a five to four vote. And it's still, why, why it's controversial, I don't know, because what we've seen is that kids are doing much, much better in that school, but that's probably because they have a longer school day and they have a longer school year, and the principal has autonomy to pick their staff. Um, and we're seeing that. And to me, it's really important because... I see myself in those kids, and I know the difference education made in my life. I know how important it was for me. And so I want to make sure that other kids have the opportunity to succeed. And I think it starts with education. And in the society that we live, I used to say that the mouse was the pencil of the new age, right? You need to have skills. You need to be able to use a computer. You need to be able to, to, to be able to work in this competitive economy that we have, you need to have a good education. And so I've worked really, I've worked really hard on that and I'll continue to advocate for that. And we look at our public schools, we need to do better, especially in the city of Providence. We need to do better. And most of the kids in the public schools are certainly in Providence and most of them look like me. And so that's something that's near and dear to my heart. I'd be remiss though, as we were recording this, I have not seen the video of the Memphis incident, changing gears a little bit, but you asked about issues that are important, but I hear it's horrific. And I've, I've purposely not seen it because I think it'd just be, it's just, it's, it's painful to watch, to think about someone losing their life at the hands of police officers, unnecessarily losing their lives. And I think that one of the things we try to do in Providence, and it's also, you know, I think the Public Safety Commissioner, Chief Clements as well. One of the things we did was we, for the first time ever, got accreditation of the police department. That was an important step to try to show that we are operating with the highest standards. Um, be supportive of our police officers where we could, but also be, have discipline, right? And, and discipline police officers where appropriate. And we did that. We also, you know, I think about the province police and, and God bless them because the number of guns that they take off the streets is in the hundreds every year. And the fact that they do that without using deadly force, just shows, in my opinion, how well trained and prepared they are because to take a gun off the street without using deadly force, that takes a lot of courage. 
and a lot of discipline. So I think that it's important that we hold our, our law enforcement to the highest standards and, and that we also, that there are consequences for, for misdeeds and for brutality and real consequences. And I'm glad to see that the officers have been charged there, but I've also heard that there was a lot of folks who were watching. And the question is, why would you watch something like that in terms of officers? And so we got more work to do. We have a lot more work to do. As a country, by the way, I mean, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm you know, I think the problems police, I, I want to just say that appreciate the work that they've done grateful for, for what they've done, but what well, we as a country have more work to do. In just approaching this issue, is it something where you see this being handled at the local community level, kind of bottom up, or do you see that there has to be something more top down in the delivery of how to manage instances and situations like this? Because both, and the reason I say both is because in some places, you know, it can be bottom up and you can see it coming at the grassroots. And I also think that the grassroots has helped bring this issue to the forefront. But I also think that, you know, you see the DOJ, Department of Justice, investigating certain police departments for patterns and practice of discrimination or abuse. And, and that's going to be necessary too. Sometimes you've got to, you've got to say enough is enough and we're going to have change and we're going to have change, whether it's willingly or not, but we're going to have some change. And so the Department of Justice has tools that they can use as well to make a difference. And I think that you have to use that. I think that in other places where uh, people want to make a difference, I mean, one of the things we did, as I said, the accreditation, that was really Commissioner Perry. I told him I wanted to make sure that we had a really professional police department. And, and the accreditation is, well, we're going to get accredited. For the first time in our history, we got accredited. Right? And so that was really important. And so I look at it as, as both. So you got to use the tools that are, are there. But where we find that there is an entrenched kind of culture and we need to change it, then I think that has to come from the top, from top down. And, and I think we have institutions like the Department of Justice who have the power to do something about it. Understood. And I feel like a lot of that comes in the form of relationships. How have you built and maintained strong relationship with other leaders and organizations? A couple of things. I mean, I, I just, I treat people the way I want to be treated. I really try as best I can to do that. And so that's been helpful overall. I, I tried while I was mayor to remember that it's fleeting. And what I mean by that, you know, I wouldn't talk about my car. That was the mayor's car. I wouldn't have to say, come to my office, come to the mayor's office, because it's not my office. It's not my, my thing, right? You try to keep yourself grounded to some, to some degree. The other thing, when I deal with folks, I really do, to the extent possible, try to put myself in their shoes and try to understand what's going on. Try to understand what might be helpful to them. Try to understand their position if we're, you know, if we are disagreeing so that I can better get to a point of resolving any issues. Right? And I, I try to be supportive, in, particularly in difficult times. And I haven't always I mean, been able to maybe 
to to do as well as I would like in those those instances. But I try to be supportive of folks in in difficult times because I think that's when they really need a friend. Absolutely, I think it's that sense of that sense of empathy continues to be an important trait to have. It's in, one of the it's one of the traits that we talk about in my leadership classes. By the way, so absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I guess uh, turning over into kind of thinking about in this intensely competitive society, what skills and traits, I know you mentioned just being digitally inclined and that's almost table stakes nowadays, but what skills and traits would you say are vital to thrive in this seemingly integrated and at times combative world? Well, I think communications, I mean, being able to communicate both orally and in writing, it's important. And I think that that's a skill that we may be losing a little bit of it because we're living in like, what is it, 260 characters or something in that world. And, um, and so I think that <clears throat> that's important. And the other part about communications is persuasion, being able to persuade, being able to have a, an, a discussion, not an argument, but a discussion, right? And trying to move people toward your side. Or finding a common ground where you can where you can actually meet. I think those skills are important and are being lost. I think we are. I don't like to use two both sides, right, um, and stuff because I think a lot of times that's a BS. But I will say both sides in one way, and that is that we're kind of entrenched in our sides, right? You know, I think that the <clears throat> the left is entrenched with the left, and I think the right is really like entrenched with the right. Now, you know, we can go into a lot of that and say, you know, one of us believes in democracy and the other one kind of says, well, listen, if you lose an election, just say, just say you didn't lose it. So I think there's differences there, but I feel like we're losing the ability to, to listen to each other and to find ways to solve problems. And, and that's a challenge. So communication skills, both orally and written and the art of persuasion, I think, is a, something that people need to, to work on. And sometimes some of that means being quiet and listening a little bit and, and trying to figure out ways to, to come together. And, and I also understand that not, you're not always going to be able to agree. I, I totally understand that, too. And there are some things that you just can't you know, agree on. But, but anyway, I, I do think that, that, that we need more of folks who can communicate. Communication is key. And, you know, you mentioned sometimes having differing perspectives from people in other groups or camps or sides. How would you recommend going about having that dialogue when you have, let's say, some sort of disagreement? You know, one of the things I try to do sometimes is if I'm in a disagreement, I will repeat or let me put it, maybe not repeat exactly, but I will summarize the other person's position so that they know that I'm listening to them. And so, okay, what you're saying, and I'm not trying to be smart or, you know, sarcastic. No, I'm like, I, I understand what you're saying is A, B, C, D. Right? And, and I, and I want to, you know, and I understand that. I disagree because of E, F, G. And, but I try, I try to do that to let them know that that's the case. Another thing I've tried to do 
is I, I've learned to try not to demonize the other side to the extent I can. And what I mean by that, to the extent I can is, you know, you have to condemn white supremacy. Like you have to condemn it. The former president of the United States should not be having dinner with people who are white supremacists, period. That I would demonize, right? So there are other things that you may have a disagreement on a legal issue, you may have an, on a policy or something that fundamental difference, right? A fundamental difference. And I try not to demonize that. I, so there are things that I think you have to just say absolutely wrong, completely, you know, no excuse, you know, and, and, and put it there. There are other things that you should at least respect the other side but there are some things I just don't think there's another side to. So, so I, you know, in trying to trying to you know share that with you and use give you a couple of examples. Yeah, so it depends. Is yeah, it's a short answer there. Okay, I think that that's a good point that you bring up in terms of summarizing and making sure that you're listening, actively listening, and sharing that you are actively participating and taking in what they're saying, and then rebuttaling with what your perspective and opinions and your, your thoughts are on that. And I guess how, just thinking it kind of shifting gears again to more on a community focus, how do you strive to promote inclusivity, respect, and understanding in the community? I mean, I, during my time as mayor, we, I would appear in lots of different places and that was important to me. I would go to a lot of different events. I would also have a, something called my time with the mayor where anyone in the city could come and speak to me without an appointment. They just needed to sign in once they got there. And I would stay as long as they were there. And we'd have that in different places across the city. And that was important because I wanted people to have a direct access to me and not feel like, you know, they, they couldn't speak to the mayor. So th- that was something that was important. I think trying to have, build a diverse team and put people in positions where they could be successful and grow. That was important to me. And so those are some of the things that we would do overall. Being at events was important and going to different events because it sends sends a signal to the people who are hosting the event, who are attending the event, you're important. The mayor is here. And again, it's not Angel. It's like, you know, the mayor came. And I say that because I joke with Mayor Paolino all the time. And I tell him, you know, the one speaker I remember my graduation was Mayor Paolino. He was there at the, my high school graduation. He says, don't remind me. But, but it was, I still remember that, right? It made an impression on me then that the mayor was at the graduation. And so I tried to go to every single graduation I could. And I think I did. And I spoke in Spanish at the graduations and as well as English. And it always was a very big applause but it was more to let them know that, you know, I'd been there and particularly folks who might be in the audience who had not, who might not be able to understand English. I wanted them to, to know what was going on. And I would have spoken in other languages if I knew others, but the French that I know is very little. So, but, uh, so doing things that, that make people feel welcome, having an open door policy, participating and being, all of those things were things that I tried to do to, to include people. Got it. And can you share if there were any, you know, how you approached dealing with the ethical dilemmas where 
there might have been something where you saw could benefit the community, but then there were also other forces at play. How did you process and analyze that in your head and coming out to a decision? I just try to do the right thing. Someone told me early on that it's kind of the Providence Journal test, and that is do when you act, make sure that whatever you do could be on the front pages of Providence Journal the next day and you'll be okay. But I, I just try to do the right thing. And, you know, when I worked to open the Achievement First Providence Neural Academy, I was told by some advisors that it was bad politics. And, but like, how can we, you know, how can advocating for children be bad politics? And if that's bad politics, I don't want good politics, right? You know what I mean? So I just did what I thought was right. And that's, that's what I tried to do throughout. When we were negotiating the teacher's contract in the middle of a gubernatorial race, you know, it would have benefited me to, to be more, I should probably politically benefited me, I think, to, to have been more conciliatory and, and give up more things. And I refused to do it. I refused to do it because I was going to do what I thought was best for the kids. And, you know, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm back practicing more, having fun and doing really, really well. But I know that I did what was right for the kids. And I have no doubt about that. So you just try to do the right thing and you try to have a longer term vision for what you're doing and, and understanding that, you know, one day your kids are going to learn more about what you did. And I want them to be very, very proud. And, and hopefully they will. That's, that's a great message in just doing what is right. And yeah, it's just, I think that too often what we, in politics, what you end up having is people so focused on re-election or the next office that their actions, if you look at their actions through that, you know, through those lenses, they make sense. My focus is doing doing the right thing and I feel very good about it. And you mentioned doing right for the kids and for the community, for kids and anyone, I guess, who is not necessarily satisfied with their surroundings, their social spheres. Any tips for getting out there or changing their scene, getting mentors or just changing their surroundings in any way? I mean, one is get involved. I think that we have, you know, kind of youth in action. We have a Providence Student Union. We have a lot of different organizations that are teaching kids how to organize, how to get involved, and making sure their voices are heard. I think that's really important. I think, you know, when you see someone that, that can be helpful, that you admire, that you want to be like, try to learn as much as you can from them. Um, you know, I, I like to say, someone asked me previously, you know, how did you guys, you know, how did you find them? Or how did they find you? I was like, well, I think I found them and I just want to let go, right? You know, and stayed involved. So I think that's, that's really important and know that it doesn't, you know, Frederick Douglass says, if there is no struggle, there is no progress, right? And power concedes nothing without demand, never has, never will. And that struggle piece is, is something that people don't realize. I think it's, it is a struggle. It's hard. And sometimes, you know, things don't go your way. You've got to go through some, some downs but believe that, you know, that there's light at the end of that tunnel and that, that you're going to get through it and that it's going to be worth it. And for me, you know, now being out of school, out of classical, 35, you know, 
college. I just celebrated our 30th anniversary. You know, it's been, it's been a great, I've been blessed and I, I feel, I feel that way. It wasn't always easy, but I'm here. So you can't achieve, but it's not going to be easy. And you're going to have a lot of obstacles, but believe in yourself and try to surround yourself with good people. And when you see somebody that can be helpful, you know, try to learn as much as you can from them and, and stay in touch. Definitely. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be known for? A good father, a good husband. I mean, I think that to me, when it's all said and done, I think there's nothing more important that I'm doing than raising my three kids and, and being a husband. So, and so to me, I, my focus now is on my kids and making sure that they're ready to be productive and thoughtful members of, of our society and that they're successful. And when I say success, I mean being thoughtful and responsible young adults and doing something that they love, right? And so whatever that might be, but if, if folks can say, wow, he really raised three outstanding people, then all right, I feel pretty good about that. And as we wrap things up, for any aspiring leaders out there or even existing leaders looking to make a positive impact in the community, do you have any words of wisdom to share based on your experience? Not my words. I'll go back to Frederick Douglass. Power concedes nothing without demand. Never has and it never will. You know, don't let other people set your goals for you. Set them yourself. Because I've always felt that other people setting your goals, sometimes they set them too low. Don't be afraid to aspire. Don't be afraid to believe. Don't be afraid to reach for the stars. Uh, and it's not, again, not easy. And, and it takes time. Some of it does. And, but really, set your goals yourself. Set them high and work toward them. And whatever you do, always try to be going forward. You know, Always try to take that step forward. So my view and my advice so folks would be that is, you know, understanding that power can seize nothing without demand. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to go out there and demand it and take it in that sense. Right. And not wait for someone to say, okay, it's your, it's your turn. So those are the, some things that I would say to, to young people out there. And you're living at a time as well, where you have tools at your disposal that allow you to reach people in a much I want to say much e definitely much easier way that we had to just mail things to someone, regular mail, right? You're living at a time where you can really reach people, figure out ways to use that power in a good way. Wise words from an incredibly accomplished man. Thank you so much for joining today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's a wrap for today's episode of Leadership Unboxed. We hope you found this discussion with Angel insightful and inspiring. Keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter at Unbox Leadership. That's U-N-B-O-X Leadership. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Vita Thuot signing off. Never stop learning.